Hi, and welcome. Uh, my friend Eric Johnson approached me or shot me a message after I released the episode uh, where I explained about my journey with depression and said, dude, I want to come back on the show. Uh, I'm having my own experience of pretty much what you, you described in that episode and, and I want to have a chat about it. Uh, so here we are. I will tell you that there are definite trigger warnings during this conversation. We talk about uh, suicide. We talk about depression. Uh, there is some mention of some traumatic instances uh, that Eric experienced while overseas in Afghanistan. Uh, so if those things make you uncomfortable, then please don't feel like you have to listen. Uh, this is by far and away one of the most vulnerable and connected interviews I've ever had the pleasure of doing, uh, and I got so much out of it. So I, I really hope that that you can get equally as much out of it. So without further ado, let's roll the intro and get this episode going. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. How you been? You know, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I've been in a pretty rough spot, you know, of probably, I mean, you know, no, no question that pandemic has certainly put a damper on a lot of things in life. And, uh, you know, you get, uh, kind of starts to get in your head and you, you know, start thinking like, will this ever end, you know, and then you start thinking about all the other things that are negative in your life. And so it just kind of starts to fester and, and so I'm kind of, you know, in this place where I just can't kind of dig out of a hole, you know? And, uh, so, uh, I mean, I'm okay. You know, like I, I actually told my boss the, the other day, just, I broke down to her, just said, I'm not doing well, yeah. you know? And I started crying just like, I know that I probably have this happy face on and I certainly am going to be a professional for the students, but I'm not doing so hot, you know, I'm actually yeah, in a yeah. really bad and um and she totally gets it so i'm thankful that i have you know somebody that understands that you know there's these depths that are hard to dig out of you know yeah and i think that it was interesting like after i put out that because i put out that like a like a facebook post whenever that was like december um and that got like a really massive reception from people I knew and people I didn't know. Uh, And I had a few people that were like, oh, you need to like, you should do an episode. Not you need to, but you should do like an episode and sort of go into more depth. And I'd already kind of thought about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll get around to it. And then, yeah, when I put that out the other day, it... I was getting messages from so many people, like people I know, like you, and then random yeah. people I'd never heard of, like yeah. sharing sharing their stories, or there was people yeah. that, you know, were going through it sort of right now uh, and hadn't really, was kind of in a similar place to me when I started where I hadn't really 
I guess, put a name to it kind of thing and they sort of knew something right. was wrong but hadn't really uh, clicked on what it might be. Um, so it, it's it's interesting. Like I always – you hear the stats, especially around like the pandemic stuff, like you know just common – well, no, it's probably not common sense, but like our OT training. We know that that kind of stuff Absolutely. is going to have yeah. an impact. Right. But I think – for a lot of people, they've kind of like, yep, okay, I know that's having an impact on other people and then that's it. They just sort of block it out and don't think about it for themselves. Um, right. I, I don't – I think it's kind of like the the old theory that, you know, plumbers have leaky taps. Like I just think we're just not yeah. very good at focusing and looking after ourselves. We're very, we're very good at, you know, putting our own crap aside to help other people or yeah. to, to do the job that we're there for. We're just – need i think taking care of ourselves yeah i think that that becomes a struggle and you know it's like the old airline adage you got to put your own mask on before you can help other people and i just that's the bit i don't think we're very good at yet yeah i mean and i agree like i and 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 it's you know what's interesting that you say that like i had done a for you know ot month last year i think april um I think I I had, you know, my head had said, I'm going to do list 30 occupations, my occupations around that define me, who I am. And, uh, and I put some things that were very obvious, like veteran, I was a veteran, you know, or yeah. I was, um, you know, uh, an, uh, a worker, occupational therapist, you know, but the the number one thing that got feedback was I was a mental health casualty, you know, um, I was a, you know, and I was very vulnerable in that kind of like you, you know, like, I don't like to say it. I mean, everybody sees me. I'm the eternal optimist. I'm mm-hmm. so happy. And I've got this fantastic life with this amazing, beautiful wife and amazing children. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is like, I'm sitting here in, in a very deep, dark place that I can't, that it's hard to share because of those things. And I was actually thinking earlier, you know, when we had decided to have this conversation, it was like, you know, like, why is it that more that we see more and more people, you know, and I don't know the statistics, but like, are more people depressed now, you know? Mm. And, 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 and of course what drives that in a lot of, you know, I don't think that it's, uncommon to think that social media drives a lot of that you know i should be more because you know this person or like even you know like i'm thrilled about your photography and i we both share a common passion in photography and i think that it's very cathartic for me to go out and take pictures and Mm. and uh uh and it's a something that i just absolutely love um, but even like looking at yours, I was like, man, look at Brock going out and he's like taking all these beautiful, beautiful pictures of these beautiful places. Why am I not going out as like, like he's doing and I should be doing the same thing. And, you know, you get in your head, like he's living life better than I'm living life. And I should mm. be doing that more. Um, you know, so, um, and actually like what's interesting, um, and I'd actually love to hear like the rainbow tees kind of take on this as well. Um, is I feel that society puts so much expectation on us that we feel that we need to be this person for so many different people and our true authentic 
person can't really be okay with who we are. Mm. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and, and, and I have applied, you know, them for being so powerfully okay with who they are, the rainbow OT, like just knowing that in that place, they've accepted their own personal understanding of who they need to be, you know, and that's who I want to be. Like, I want to be a person who is, is okay with depth depression okay with the flaws um i certainly have made thousands and thousands of mistakes and hurt people and um rub people the wrong way you know and i'm trying to work in a personal space that's okay with making mistakes and forgiving myself and being able to move on there and that's and that's super hard for me because i don't want to be i don't want to make mistakes i don't want to you know say the wrong thing yeah and, yeah. and that's hard and i think uh, in the many conversations I've had with Dev, uh, that's one thing that he, like heaps of other people that I've I've spoken to about Dev admire about Dev is the fact that they are or at least outwardly appear to be able sure. to be super confident in exactly you know who they want to be. And, and I guess that, that inner, I guess you'd call it like an inner confidence. Uh, Dev, Dev definitely sort of pushes that, that image out. And, and in conversations, like I, I, I speak to Dev almost every day. Uh, and I, I do believe like that it's not just a sort of an image that you, you know, you get from, from the, the social accounts. I, I, I genuinely believe that that's who they are. Um, But I I do think you're right in that social media has had a massive impact on, I think it's had a massive impact on, on everyone anyway, in that it is very much the highlight reel of people's lives. Like, like you were talking, say for example, like the, the photos you're talking about, you know, there's however many couple (laughs) hundred photos on that, that account. I've taken yeah. like twelve thousand photos. <laughs> like, right, right. Like right, you're right. literally just seeing the best of the best, and yes. there's I can guarantee you there are miles more shit photos that I've taken than the good right. ones that I'm actually going to show right. people. Uh, right. And that, and that's exact. That's like a perfect sort of way to highlight the fact that yeah, you're seeing the the highlight reel of people's lives, and it is yeah. natural but- that that's how we. I feel anyway. That's how we traditionally have kind of measured ourselves because there's no objective measuring stick on how to be a successful person we measure ourselves by comparing to those around us and unfortunately or fortunately with social media that Mm. around us in a quotes has now gone worldwide and we're able Mm. to filter what's actually put out there so you know i actually i I love that metaphor and that's beautiful like i i do a lot of weddings and well i say i do a lot of weddings i've probably done 15 (laughs) but still that's that's uh that's enough to know that i've have the similar like where i i certainly have taken probably three-fourths of my pictures that i've taken are garbage Mm. and and i don't want to use where you know but every wedding i'll take 1200 to 1500 pictures Mm. and then give them about 400 yeah you know and they're beautiful in the moment joy and 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 grace and and beauty 
Um, but the other three fourths are blurred and the mm. lighting's bad. Um, the faces, the eyes are closed. And what a beautiful metaphor to our life, right? But I, you know? I, th- I think that um, also we can kind of expand on that in that as a, a photographer, that's that's okay. Like it's almost that's accepted. Like yeah. you're not expected to nail every single shot. Um, yeah. like you go out there, like I know every time I go out, like I'm going to take three or 400 photos today and I might right. get five or six good ones. And that's kind yeah. of like, I'm okay with that. Um, it'll yeah. probably be different. If it was film cause that would cost me a fortune, but, well, uh, that's, 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 that's <laughs> funny, which is but, but again, you know, think about again, comparing social media, like it exists now mm. and you know, 30 years ago, there's nothing or 20 years ago, there's nothing. And now we have this unlimited supply of pictures that we can take, mm. whereas in social media, un- unlimited ability to share the greatness of our lives mm. if we wanted to. Or or the depths. I mean, people love to share their terrible lives sometimes, which is bizarre to me. But, I, I, you know, I guess it's there. They want they need that feedback. from. But people. I, I think in both instances, often it's about that dopamine hit. So, you know, whether you're. Yeah. Yep. You're, you're sharing, you know, something amazing or, you know, for example, a photo you've taken or whatever, or, you know, you're putting up a whinge about, you know, you got cut off in traffic or whatever it is. Either way, yeah. you're putting it out there for the response in a lot, in, in, I won't say for every case, but 99% of cases, I reckon, would be people putting it out there for the response. And it's the same chemical reaction that we're chasing. It's the same, you know, feel-good hormones that we're chasing either way. One, I, my interpretation of one would be that, you know, one is a, a healthier sort of option than the other. Um, sure, sure. They've obviously I both agree. got their downfalls, but uh, <laughs> they are essentially coping mechanisms to make us feel good, um, both of them. Let me ask you this. Yeah. So two things happen on social media. We post something to receive some kind of feedback. Mm -hmm. And then we also go on there to see what other people are doing and get a little bit of a window into lives. Right. Yep. So what, what does the other side do? So we, we've kind of identified that, that dopamine um, hit from receiving feedback. Cause you know, I I think probably 99% of the people that go on social media look very quickly to, did somebody comment on my post? How many likes do I have on my post? Um, was it popular? Um, wh- who's doing what right now? Maybe the my top few people that I follow, maybe they made a post or something. But, you know, you, you very quickly go to your notifications and just see what's going on, how people reacted to you. So if, let's say, what if social media ended up being, you actually didn't exist in that place as far as what you share, the only thing that exists is that you can see other people's stuff. Yep. So what did, what, that make what sense? would you get out of it? I think, yeah. 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 yeah I think I know. What so you mean. Do, I mean, so, so do you, would that change the atmosphere of social media? And the problem is that this could never happen because if nobody could say yeah. their own thing, nobody would be able to post because then yeah. they wouldn't exist. Well, but I, I, I think you can do a, a similar example to like what they've tried to do on say Instagram where they've hidden the likes from the public. I don't know. Actually, oh, right. I don't know if they've done it everywhere. They've definitely done it in Australia. So like if yeah. I go onto 
say your account, I however many the number of people that have liked a post on your account, I can't see that. Um, and that's yeah. I think th- I think they did that. I think they I know they were worldwide. rolling it out gradually, and I it probably is worldwide by now. But like, yeah. if say for example, you flipped that so that I go onto your account and I can see how many people have liked it, but you can't. That'd be a similar thing where what you're an interesting experiment. You're not going to get that sort of hit you're not going to know how many people have liked it how many people have seen it that kind of thing you might you know you, or actually no let's take take comments out of it as well so you're not going to have any feedback but i can see but everybody else but does. everyone else does um oh man how crazy would that be i think i do think there's still something to be gained by the person that is liking and commenting because it's kind of one of the other things that a lot of people use social media for is social acceptance. And part yeah, of that, yeah. or in human, I guess, biology has interpreted that as that kind of mob mentality thing. So if everyone yeah. likes this photo, then I must like it too kind of thing. So that's why you, sure. that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, Instagram was looking at trying to hide some of the likes and shares or whatever, yeah. whatever else you can do on there um, was to try and give that uh process a bit less power uh and have less yeah. impact on you know mainly you know young minds or minds that aren't coping so well which at the moment is pretty much everyone on yeah. earth but um yeah and that's that's I do so think, crazy I do me. still think there is some it's probably not as big a say it might be dopamine as well it may not be as big a hit but I think there is yeah. still uh, I think what you're looking for, so when I'm scrolling, what I'm looking for is one, either normalization or inspiration. So I'm looking yeah. for, okay, yeah, I like that photo. You know, I can, it still shows me like if I any, any if any of my friends have liked that same thing. Yeah. So I can sort of oh, go, yeah, okay. Um, but also, so with my photography account, I go flicking through there looking for, you know, ideas inspiration that kind of thing and when i find stuff like that i get that sort of that hit as well so i think that's that's probably not the majority of people's experience on social media the inspiration side of it but definitely the normalization i think a lot of people use it for that well i think too like you know i mean you think about it like when people used to read newspapers they got a lot of input but there wasn't a lot of stuff to put back into it you know you just got information and so and i remember like i joined facebook when you know (laughs) you couldn't get on it unless you were in 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 university yeah like and and uh and it was and myspace was the biggest thing and you know um and you could really personalize your whole experience on myspace whereas facebook was very directed very simple and uh and I remember just thinking, like, it's so neat to be able to see, uh, you know, what my nieces and nephews, how they're growing up, instead of getting that one Christmas card yeah, yeah. that shows a picture of them, one space in that. Um, and I have a huge family, so it was really neat to be able to just see my family grow mm. uh, in a way that I hadn't previ- prior to that. And, of course, it now has become an instrument of, I mean, especially – in the last year of, you know, with the um, U S presidency and <laughs> um, the, the chaos that is the controversy, Trump presidency, yeah, you know? yeah. 
and just you know and and either it, who, whatever side you're on it ended up being this there's so much hate spread you know and i think hate brews and that's tough you know um, it was one and, of those and, things and you start questioning your own your own feelings about stuff you know like i typically lean a little bit more conservative but i certainly am embarrassed by a conservative mindset in a lot of america right now yeah. you know but if i swung super liberal it would be against my values you know and so it's like how do you find that balance um you know and so that's a it's an interesting game and i think that you know people do very strongly believe that their words will change other people um and sometimes they're very harsh words and sometimes they're very kind and usually i don't i'm not a big political poster but usually i just ask you know convince me that your candidate is the right candidate but you're not allowed to say something negative about the other like i just need to know why funny all politics was like that (laughs) oh man yeah i have those same conversations in australia i'm like it comes to election side election time and all they do is sling shit at each other. I'm like, why, why don't you tell yeah. me what you're actually going to do instead of why the other guy is worse? Like, yeah, yeah. But well, it, this actually, this year I made people, I don't know if you saw it, but I made people say something nice about the other. Um, and so I said, <laughs> That's a good one. Tell me, sell me on your candidate You can and, and tell me two things that you love about them. And then you have to say one thing why the other candidate would be a good option. So if you're going to post you have to say something good, you know? And I said, you know, if you don't say something good, you can't, you know, participate. And you're, and also the rules, you're not allowed to say something bad. Yep. And actually it was really interesting. Like I had some of my liberal friends just like, you know, I think Biden really cares about family and he's got this and Trump makes me a lot of money. And I was like, fair enough. He <laughs> makes you a lot of money. There you go. You know, like it, at least you can understand why. Yeah. And, and, and so there was some interesting, like some other people, like Trump actually got us these um, relief aid checks very quickly, you know? Okay. Fair enough. He, um, you know, whether or not it was him or just the fact that he was in office, the vaccine yep. came along pretty quickly, you know? So, um, so that was, that was pretty um, interesting. And, and other people would say, you know, you know, uh, for Trump, but against Biden, or, you know, they would say like, Biden is very, he seems very compassionate. He's got a lot of experience. He seems that he, he holds himself well as a politician, mm. you know? And so anyway, so interesting, you know, to, to make them think that those directions. And I, I, I think that's, that's also, I guess, kind of breaking the mold of how information is delivered just purely on social media, because like you were saying before, like with newspapers, like newspapers were very much a one-way medium. I I still think social media, as you know, social as it tries to be, is still that. Um, especially yeah. when you know you hear all these things. I don't know if you've watched the Social Dilemma, the movie, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like especially when you yeah. hear those kinds of things, where you know that flow of information can be manipulated. You know, I I can't say yay or nay. It was a very interesting movie. I. It, definitely sounds sure. like it possibly could be true i'm not going to confirm or deny it yeah. i have no idea but if it is true then you know here we yes, are yeah it actually gave me a better understanding of why you know people have opposing views to me potentially um but that that it still 
is indicative that that information flow on social media is very one way. It's it's one way traffic, whether it's one way to a person that's not willing to look at any other options, or whether it's the fact that you know the algorithms are just feeding them one way or one type of thinking or one version of a story, so that that's all they end up believing because that's all they've seen. Either way, it's still just one-way traffic. And then I think when we do sure. try and bring those people, and I say those people as in like everyone on earth who's actually on social media, we bring them back together. Everyone's got their own separate narrative due to the whatever lane of traffic they've been fed. And right. that's where we end up with this really contrasting views as opposed and no... I think also because of, again, because I feel like I'm blaming social media for everything at the moment, but sure. also I feel like because of that, we've lost a lot of the, uh, I guess, the skills to actually engage in those kinds of conversations with each other. Yeah. Yeah, actually, you know, my wife, she doesn't, because, I mean, I, I enjoy some of those conversations and I, 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 I'm not a big, I don't argue, I, I'm much rather just receive input Mm. um you know because again you know like if you were in the u.s and you decided that fox news was your source of of information Mm. you would believe all that stuff and then when you'd have a conversation with somebody who's liberal like wait a minute but that's not true and then well what about on cnn is that actually true or wait which true is true Mm. you know because i need to be able to to sort that out, um, you know, because if I, if I'm going to have a conversation and I've only ever asked of anybody, if they're going to talk about something is that, you know, like make sure your facts are correct, you know, make sure you don't just wildly post something and, you know, um, and, and, and because the danger is that it, if it is not correct, it's influencing you Hmm. regardless. And so that becomes really dangerous with uh, a mentality. So if I, Fox News certainly leans heavily conservative. And so, you know, and, and really you could say that, you know, because of the constant rhetoric that the left is wrong, that we have to have this insurrection at the Capitol, you know, like, you know, people, you know, they burn these fires and it's crazy, you know, and, and, and and the other side too, it's the other side too. I mean, it's, it's no, it's no, no one saw one side is wrong here is actually really is both sides are wrong. No one, no side is really right, Yeah. but it fuels this, this hate and anger. And then what does that do to you personally? Do you hold that around throughout the day? I'm so glad the politics is uh, the presidential election is over. Like I can't wait till this impeachment thing to be over just so that we can really truly turn a page and, and heal. I and that's, that's I don't tough. think it's just Americans that are thinking that right now. You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. We're all sick of hearing about it. Yeah. Well, and you know what's what was the most interesting thing to me outside of um outside of the US was Brock like you woke up and you're like what's going on in America right now? Like you posted something that was like what is happening? Yeah. Like what what is going on? What the and hell? then like, you know, my 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 friends from from England, you know, like what is happening, guys? Like or I'm so sorry about your country. Mm. You know, which is it, actually pretty empowering because like 
you know, there's uh, our, our small body of OTs like really care for each other. Like hmm. I know that if there was somewhere where you're struggling and you're like, I don't know how you can do this, but Eric, if you would save my life by coming out here, I would do it, hmm. you know? And I, and I, I truly believe that there's a body that cares enough about each other that we would have each other's backs, you know, come whatever it is, you know? And, um, and I don't think there's enough of that in general, but I mean, but to know that like you're concerned about your friends because of what's going on in the country is uh, pretty powerful, you know? And, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, I've followed, I've been following the Brexit thing for years now, <laughs> concerned about like my brothers and sisters over in the yeah, UK, yeah. you know, and like, what's that, what does that mean for their life? Like, and I'm trying to understand like, how is that going to affect, you know, I was supposed to go do the OT show over November last year. Yeah, Very excited yeah. to meet some of those people in person. And of course, pandemic and you know, whatever, but yep. And it's the same. Like I think uh, even sort of, when was it last week or the week before I was getting messages from people asking if I was okay because they'd heard yeah. there was a cyclone coming and I'm like, I didn't even know it was coming. The first I heard of it was, I think the yeah. first person that messaged me was in England and I'm like, oh, you know what's going on here better than I do. <laughs> like I haven't watched the news in a while, maybe yeah. I should. <laughs> yeah, actually we could totally use some rain, so no big deal. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's, it was welcome and it fizzled anyway, yeah. so it pretty much just was rain. But I think I think that's an interesting ob- observation, especially around OT. Um, and I, I do believe, because I mean I've always looked at OT as not a profession of all well obviously it is a profession but i've always looked at it more as a subculture and and i do feel that that is where the power of that connection between sort of like even us like across the the ocean is is that you know those subcultures are are, are groups of people that come together with shared values and yeah you know there's going to be some things but not not everyone in the profession is going to agree on everything there's going to be some things that we disagree on, but there's a, a a lot of values that a lot of us would share just purely by the fact that we're in this profession, and it's probably why we're in this profession, is because we you know we held certain values, um, and I, I think that's a powerful thing, and I, I feel. I feel like the power of subcultures is getting somewhat watered down with. I guess the globalization of things where yes, yeah. it's, it is important that, you know, we look at it, people as global citizens and, you know, we're looking after, you know, human rights because everyone needs, you know, these basic human rights met and that kind of stuff. That, that stuff definitely important. But on terms of, you know, as you get sort of higher up that sort of Maslow's hierarchy, when we start to get to that section where we need connection, it's surprisingly, I reckon, if you were sort of going to start from sort of a worldview and work your way down, when you get to those sort of subcultures is when you would start seeing some of those really strong connections where people actually feel like they belong to things. Um, yeah. And I feel like some of that is kind of lost. And it's this is going to be a terrible example. <laughs> but so when I was growing up, uh, sort of going through probably primary school a little bit, but mainly high school, there was stereotypes of groups of people at high school. There was, you know, the football players and there was the drama kids and the math kids. And 
they all hung out together. Like the, I mean, everyone at our school anyway got along with each other, but there was definite groups that were closer than others, and it was those shared yeah. values. Um, and I'm not saying, I mean, stereotypes aren't always a good thing. I'm not trying to say that to anyone, right. but they do exist, and they exist for a reason. And why is an, is an important thing to know, and it's those shared values. I feel like that kind of stuff, especially in today's culture where, I don't know, everything seems to be wrong. Uh, I feel like we're kind of losing some of those things that a lot of people probably found very useful growing up, going especially through like those teenage years, which, you know, we have all been there. We know that they can be quite volatile and sometimes cruel and sometimes mean and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like some some of those things uh, are being probably lost or watered down. And I think even if we wanted to look at that from a you know a, a client perspective, like it's important for us to get our head around. Like I couldn't go into a school thinking that it's going to be the same as when I was at school because it's definitely not. It's a it, the world is changing so fast. Uh, and again, we'll probably go back to social media, but social media is a perfect example of one of those things. Like my my students don't believe me that I remember a time before the internet. I'm like, Same. yeah. They're like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know. We went outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. getting my first internet connection with the old yeah, dial-up. That's that is, that, well, that's interesting because like so – Recently, they just had a. I saw something on on TV that, or not TV, of course, because we don't watch TV. We watch our phones and yeah, yeah. computers, right? So, um, but I was watching something, and it was like lost footage of '90s uh, holiday season at Toys R Us shopping season. It would been packed, and it was like 1990 Ninja Turtles, <laughs> yes. and there were people in the the. You know, the eye, and it was just footage in the aisles at a toy store. Yeah. And I was so blinded by how much there was, you know, like literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of boxes of toys everywhere. And that was, that really defined our, my childhood mm-hmm. and, and, and yours, you know, like, and I was just telling my wife the other day, I was like, I mean, my, some of my best memories of childhood was, Saturday mornings, I would get up at like at 6 a.m., grab myself a bowl of cereal, and watch the very watch first cartoons. cartoons that started playing. Yep. And you would watch them until noon because that was the one day that, that TV was dedicated to children. Mm. And then you went out, and it was time for everybody to be done, and we went out and we just played. And I love the internet. And, you know, actually, there's something that I wanted somebody to illustrate for me and it's it's something like this where like i'm sitting there kind of on my phone cuz people talk so negatively about phones and people are always have their head down you know um but what i wanted to do was i wanted to have somebody illustrate like me at the very side of a picture and i was looking that way and this big cone that came out that would come out like this and in that cone would be my life inside that phone and basically, you'd be signifying like I'm better connected now that I'm on this phone. I am. I've got my my sports on this phone. I've got my video games on this phone. I've got my mother on this phone. My pictures, my memories, and so and and all those things drawn into this like 
almost like basement or warehouse or attic mm. that is like hung up jersey of like an old time numbered or you know my connections to my friends overseas and just this thing like we think this is so terrible but it really has opened up the world for us to be able to engage in what's what's meaningful to us yeah, yeah. you know and it would be a cool illustration if i could get somebody to really do it well um because i obviously do a lot with technology and ot you know and and i miss those days and i and i miss riding my bikes with my friends and mm. you know like going to the ballpark and hitting the ball around and everybody just was outside all the time um but I don't want to discount that there's a lot of joy in the ability to connect. You know, I literally, you and I can, let me think about you and I trying to do if, if podcasts existed 20 years, 30 years ago, what's funny is when I say 20 years ago, that was just 2000. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so actually, you know, even before that, um, but you know, iPhone one came out in 2007. So yeah. anything before iPhone one really is fair game, you know, but us trying to do a, um, you know, pre pre internet, do a podcast. I would literally write you a letter and yeah. like, hey, we should get on the phone. You know, yeah. Um, and it would and cost like recently, fifteen dollars a minute to ring yeah, international. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. And somebody recently said, like, describe your age with um, without saying it, without using a number or whatever. And yeah. I said, my age is ordered a shirt on jc penny and i can't and you know send a check to jc penny from germany i was living in germany to um hopefully get my new shirt in six to eight weeks you know or something <laughs> like that you know like it was like it was something where it's like you know you couldn't pay online you couldn't pay over the phone you just sent a check and someday you would get this stuff you know i remember but, so i remember just random thought that just popped into my head when you said that i remember watching a cooking show when i was a kid i would have been in primary school maybe 10 11 years old and i remember watching a cooking show and you could send a fax away yeah. and they would fax you the recipe back so you had to Whoa. fill out this form or like write on the thing, like your details and whatever. And they probably collected that for their marketing or something. But uh, I remember having to, I wanted the, I can't even remember what it was, really not, I don't even know what the recipe was, but had to fill out this piece of paper and then I had to go into mum's work and we faxed it off and we had waited, like I think it came in like the next day. They'd like sorted it out and they faxed back the recipe. Be? Yeah, and they faxed back the recipe. I'm like, oh, see, this is oh, technology. Like, it's amazing. Oh, it was cilantro. Cilantro is what yeah. made it. I didn't catch that. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, it's oh, interesting man. what you say about the phones because that, that's obviously something that I'm sure everyone is familiar with that that uh, statement around, you know, they're, they're not healthy and we, we use them too much. And I can see as a, a – I would class myself as a heavy phone user <laughs> Um I, I I can see both sides of the argument still, um, and I guess my interpretation is it, of it is around the same as anything. It's not necessarily moderation. I think it's intent. So I think people get themselves into trouble when they just end up 
scrolling for no reason and it just becomes oh, almost right. a almost a habit rather than an intentional action so yes like we can get connected like you know like you said about your drawing like my mom's in my phone tons of photos are in my phone access to all my friends are in my phone um like i've got maps in my phone i can look stuff up i can research things the whole library is in my phone uh, the radio is in my phone. All of my CDs and my records are in my phone. Like everything's in there. And if I'm looking to use those things intentionally, brilliant tool. It's for me, and I do get caught up with this quite often. For me, it's when it becomes a sort of a mindless, uh, I call it like a time fill where you just, you don't have anything else to do. So you pull out your phone. Um, that's yeah. when I feel feel the effects of not immediately but if it happens for a while that's when i start feeling the effects of okay maybe this like i don't feel good (laughs) i feel like i'm sort of i feel like i'm neglecting something probably my wife or my dog or i'm I'm, there's something else i should be doing when you know i'm just why am i why am i playing on my phone like why am i literally, literally just nothing. what they well it's given been given a term now doom scrolling instagram like why am i doing yeah. that there's yeah. nothing i'm not looking for anything i'm not looking for inspiration i wasn't planning a photo trip i'm not catching up on what people are doing i'm literally just scrolling mindlessly yeah. uh to to fill in the time and i think yeah. that when it becomes a non-intentional sort of engagement that's when i think people start to run into issues now i find that the when that aspect of me gets out of hand that's when i that's one of my sort of triggers uh not triggers but that's one of the things i recognize when i'm like okay wait up something's not quite right um and it might take me a few days could be take me a week to actually realize it or it could be my wife yeah. going, man, you've spent a lot of time on that thing. Like, what are you actually doing? And I'm like, oh, nothing. Like, nothing. Nothing. I'm doing literally nothing. Actually nothing. Um, yeah. And that's one of the things I notice when I my mental state is starting to slide is my, not even just my phone, actually, even the computer or Xbox or anything, any sort of, any any kind of, yeah. I guess you would, I would call it like an escape technology um, where it takes me out of the current reality for a bit. But anytime I find I'm using that without sort of purpose or without intention, that is a sort of a warning sign for me, I guess, that you might want to sit down and actually have a think about what's been going on because this this is what happens when, you know, you start to slip. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, and I, this is actually a pretty good segue to, you know, one thing that I wanted to kind of talk about today, you know, and, and when I know that I'm slipping, when I'm going into that hole, that's going to be dangerous for me. Mm. Um, the depressive state that really kind of locks in on me is, is positive stress reactions versus negative stress reactions. And, okay. and, you know, in, and if we're talking OT in general, you know, in the army, one of the things that we had was, um, and I still have, and actually, if you know, like OT, we were born out of World War One mm-hmm. and Reconstruction AIDS, and you can kind of follow that back. But, um, you know, but one of the things that the army has now is a combat and operational stress control. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, it's the mental health um, uh, force that um, looks at ways to help soldiers 
handle st- stress and um, combat operational stress reactions in you know in theater. And so, so one of the things that they talk about is positive stress reactions versus negative stress reactions. So your negative would be like, I'm depressed. I'm going to go drink. Mm. I'm going to depress. I'm going to go smoke. And my 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 reaction, my response is is something that's negative that potentially could hurt me yeah. um, or or is not going to fill me in a way that it, that I need you know and um, and then of course our positive stress reaction would be something that we can we can be fulfilled with and so I know that you know even I don't even know that you ever posted this but you going out doing photography told me something that you needed something more for mm-hmm. you and and something that a way to be able to breathe appreciate the world sit there in a moment and capture that moment to realize that so many of the things that we perseverate on aren't actually important mm. and and how much bigger is this world for me pretty and so damn, that's and that's pretty, pretty damn plus <laughs> pretty, yeah, yeah right um, and sometimes, so I have about a 35 minute, 45 minute commute to work every morning and the sun rises to my left. Um, and if I'm, if I'm at the perfect time, usually it's the perfect time. The sun is just coming over the horizon and I, and, and it's, and there's nothing. So I see it come up and it's just takes my breath away almost every time. And then there's days where I see that and. And then as I'm driving home, it's on my right side going down and I see that horizon Um, and it takes my breath away. And I think about the insignificance. I I don't want to say insignificance of my life, but how small I am and, uh, and how beautiful this, this world is. Mm. Um, And and I, I I get emotional about it, you know? Um, And actually when I've been seeing a lot of your, um, post and actually Anita Hamilton, Alice um, Hortrup, like they've been posting like videos of Anita's the ocean one side. minute at the beach or whatever she calls one minute it. Yeah. each, you know, and that's actually super cathartic for me because I, I, I need, you know, like that's, that's great. Like to see that this world revolves around, you know, something that's not you. Yeah. And that's okay, you know, and so all the little small details of life that get into my head, um, the world doesn't care about that, you know, and how can I capture the what's more important? And, uh, and so what I've, I found personally that helps me stress wise or helps me emotionally when I'm in a pretty depressed state is, is tackling small tasks, you know, mm-hmm. so like I love work working and I love working on my house and I love like again photography um but you know I have about seven email accounts right now and from different ways my two nonprofits I have email accounts I've got my work account I have two personal accounts one for spam and one for you know like personal stuff and um you know and so even like okay I'm just going to try to tackle 10 to 20 emails that have been kind of lingering there mm. and that will give me a little burden off of my shoulders, you know, or take a little something off. Um, sometimes if I'm at work, I'm just like, I'm just going to clean my office. I have a thousand things to do, but if I clean my office, I will see something change and, you know, maybe I can internalize that change mm. and put it t- towards something good. 
Um, you know, so for me, a lot of that stuff. So I, I'm not a huge drinker. I do enjoy having a drink with my friends. Um, I do enjoy having a drink if I'm out socially, but, um, but it's not, you know, one of those things that will become, yeah, Yeah. a, a negative stress reaction, you know, um, and I'm not a big smoker. I will have a cigar with my friends or something like that. Um, celebrating the death of somebody, you know, whatever, but I'm not a smoker, you know, and, um, you know, but, but I will say my negative stress reaction is this, Hmm. I go here, you know, and I'm like, okay, I want everything to go out of my brain. Yep. And I just, am going to look at everybody else's either chaos or, or, or life. And then two hours later, I'm like, what did I just do? I literally filled my life with nothing. Yep. And, that, know, and, that's, and, and I'm, that's I'm very similar. I, I do yeah. almost exactly the same in that it's it's a way to it, – it is an escapism. Like it's a way to yeah. like I don't, I don't want to deal with whatever it is going on. I don't want to, you know – I don't want to have to like, you know, clean the kitchen. I don't want to have to do that. I'm just going to sit here and oh, I'll just scroll for a little bit and then blah, blah, blah. Um, and I think what, what um, actually impressed you pretty much nailed my photography journey in one without, I don't know if I've posted it. I don't, I might, I might have, but I don't think I had. So bravo. Um, but again, it started as um, during our lockdown uh earlier in the year uh i was just getting sick of being at home and i'm like all of my hobbies interests everything that i had access to or that i was doing at that time were based around home like i had my gym at home i did this podcast i was working from home as well at the time so i literally there was a six-week period even outside of the lockdown where i didn't leave the house um and that wore very thin and i've always had a fascination with flying and i've always loved photography and i ended up buying a drone um purely for the fact that uh and i spoke about it with my wife before i bought it i'm like i need a hobby that i can't do at home like i have to go outside to do it and and that and not interact with people right well it wasn't even that initially i mean that's a side bonus and sometimes pandemic you know like yeah yeah yeah, so something that I could do on my own, um, or like now, now I've been on um, you know little photo trips with some mates and stuff. Um, but then from that, I was like, oh, I really need to get back into like proper camera photography as well. So I ended up getting back into that as well. So now I do both. Well, I crashed my drone last week, so I'm getting that repaired. But yeah. normally, I would do both. So it's it's and and it is it's it's very cathartic. It's especially now that I've kind of done all the really easy places that you can get to around here. So now it's a you know I'm going for walks into the bush looking for things to take yeah. photos of. So you know you really are getting outside. And you're going for hikes and a lot of the places I'm going, you know, yeah, they are sort of like bushwalk tracks. But again, there's not many people there and you have to be self-sufficient and you know you carry everything in you carry everything out it's there's there's a process to like okay like i don't want to take every single camera thing that it's all there on the table like there's tons of stuff like if i'm going for a hike i don't want to carry all that crap so it's like i need to consciously think about like what kinds of shots am i going to be looking for what equipment do i need like i don't want to take every lens i own because i'm probably not going to use half of them anyway i might use two of them 
um, right. depending right. on what's actually in that area. Um, right. So it, there's a, it's become a one. There's also the learning of actually how to do it and you know what works yeah. and what doesn't, and that's a lot of experimentation and stuff. Yeah. But there's also that sort of process before and after, like the prep, and then the you know afterwards is sort of editing photos or sometimes editing. cleaning your gear and that kind of stuff if it gets yeah. wet. Um, so the, it's become more than I had a, like, more than I was anticipating when I originally started it, but it's still serving that purpose in that I've always had a need for some sort of creative expression. And originally that's why this podcast was started as well as part of that sort yeah. of creative expression in yeah. that I was then able to learn, you know, well, I'd already kind of knew a bit about website development, but learn about audio editing and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like as I got closer to, you know, I wasn't learning as much with that. Like I still love it. I still love doing this podcast, yeah. but I'm like, it's the things that I can learn about it that I was learning initially when I first started, that's kind of slowing down. So I needed something else. I needed a new challenge to take right, on as right. well to sort of keep that creative expression going. Yeah. Um, and I, I do feel like it's something because it's obviously camera gear is expensive, but actually once you've got it, just going out and taking photos is relatively tedious. Uh, oh, no, I was going to say relatively oh. low barrier to entry. Like you can just go. Like right. I can literally just go right. take photos in the backyard if I really want to. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's one of the things. Like if I'm ever like I've had a shitty day, like yesterday, yeah. I'm like I had a shitty day. I literally yeah. drove down the road and found a bunch of trees that looked kind of interesting and just started like experimenting, like what angles, what light, what settings can I do to try yeah. and make this look interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely something that i've kind of embraced wholeheartedly as a, a i guess a support for my mental health um you know and you get all the side benefits of being outside you know vitamin d being in nature being just right. peaceful Fresh and air, all that yeah you know thinking about something other than whatever else has been stressing you all day that kind of stuff like yeah. there's all those sort of side benefits um you know, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, you know, recently, over, actually over the past couple of years, if I do, uh, you know, if somebody asks me to come to be like a, a featured speaker or something where I'm doing, a, you know, a commencement address or something, I actually have started with this interesting thing where I don't talk for the first 30 seconds. Okay. And I just... Like, so they're like, Eric Johnson. And then I get up there and I just hold every person that's looking at me captive in that silence. And then I, and I look up at them and I say, the power of quiet, the power of silence is an incredible, or, or I was like, silence is an incredibly powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it can teach us so many things about life. And I go on to this small monologue about how the quiet has changed me and how important it is to be able to live in that silence and be okay with it. And then I was like, you know, when I started, a lot of you thought maybe he choked, mm. maybe he, you know, um, he just crapped his pants. isn't doing well. Like somebody <laughs> send him, somebody give him a glass of water. Somebody like, are you okay? Is, is everything okay? You know? And, um, and I've actually had to tell the, 
people have put these on like, Hey, by the way, I'm not going to say anything for 30 seconds. But if you think 30 seconds, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't sound like a lot of time, but you and I, if we stopped talking for 30 seconds, everybody would assume that it was the feed was lost or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, I held you guys captive. Like we anticipate what's happening all the time. Like, you know, it is, you know, almost eight o'clock here. I know that, you know, our conversation is going to be ending soon. I can anticipate what the day looks like. You know, I know I can expect, I know that, uh, you know, s- certain companies will email me at 9am, you know, I can expect that. And I was like, but if I, if you can hold yourself captive in a moment that you're not allowed to get out of, it's a, it's a very powerful, interesting thing. And so I really enjoy it because everybody anticipates me giving them something and they're not allowed to take it. Mm. And it's, <clears throat> and so what I, what I challenge them is like, take, you know, time to meditate, um, you know, even if it's five minutes each day and, you know, you can do a lot of research on meditation and, and quiet and the silence and, and how our the world's greatest leaders, businessmen, blah, 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 take time to meditate each day. Um, that in that meditation, it'll give you focus, it'll give you answers to questions that you should be kind of thinking about and then allows you to progress through your day more effectively. Mm. Um, but, but that's tough, you know, and, and I love that you say like sometimes, you know, just, having a really terrible day, you will stop, get out of your car and just look, hmm. you know, and you know, what's, what's beautiful is your moment is the only moment that has ever happened hmm. in the history of time. You know, like this moment right now will never be replicated. Yeah. Um, the piece of grass, oftentimes when you're in nature, it's the only, you're the only person that will ever actually see that branch or or Barry, or you're only the person that will ever capture that particular tree because nobody else cares about it. Mm. You know, whereas you go to, you know, the Sydney opera house, how many t- pictures have been taken to that? The bazillions. Everybody's every taking picture, possible time. That one tree. Angle. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, that one tree that you decided was important, you did, you know? And so, and so I think that's, I think that's a big deal, you, you know? And as I, so a lot of times when I treat my mental health, I, treating my mental health sometimes is appreciating those small things and then also helping other people identify their unique contribution to, to life. And, uh, and that helps me also, you know, be like, you know what, the things I'm doing in life, I think are significant. And Mm. I think that if somebody were to look back and tell the story of my life, I hope that they can say he loved people. And he appreciated those moments of silence, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because uh, I think, and you probably agree, um, my experience is sort of every time I have sort of a depressive bout, when you come out of it, you learn something new about yourself or how to manage it or, you know, you learn yeah. something from each time it happens. And one of the things that I've learned with the last one, which is obviously while I was taking photos and stuff, um, I had take, started that hobby when I had the, the last sort of bout. Um, was the So before that, I had to be very conscious and driven, and I had five relatively just basic things that I would start building into my routine to try and drag myself out of it. And there were things like... I would do a daily meditation on one of the, like I have a, I think it's the Calm app and they do like a 10-minute meditation every day. Yeah. So I would do that. I would journal 
every day. I didn't care if it was one sentence or, you know, a, a novel. Whatever I needed yeah. to write, I would write. I had to sit in the sun for five minutes. Uh, I had to do like 10,000 steps and I think I had to drink two liters of water. Like that were the five real right. simple things. I just wanted to make sure I did them every day. Uh, but they were very... Uh, I th- it, it worked. It definitely worked, but it was a very prescriptive sort of like I need to do these five things. And they targeted obviously very different aspects of what a human body needs: yeah. like vitamin D, you know, time out, connection, right. um, being able to process thoughts, that kind of stuff. Um, what I found with the last time when I I had a sort of a was in a really deep hole, which was about. September, November, no, September, October ish around there last year um, was that pretty much everything that I got from those five things, obviously, except for like the water, um, I was getting from photography. So, photography was a very, because again, like I was That's going cool. out there often on my own into the bush or, you know, going for long drives, even two spots. Uh, yeah. It was a very, sort of mindful pursuit, especially when you're looking for a shot. If you're in a location and you're looking for a shot, I find that very a very mindful pursuit because you're not focusing on anything other than what's, you know, in front of your how eyes. Do I want to capture and this? how yeah. can I frame it or what's the best angle? What do I find appealing about what angle, blah, blah, blah. I was obviously outside, so I was getting, you know, vitamin D. Vitamin so D. like it was to me it was very much highlighting I guess the difference uh between how an OT would work in mental health and how pretty much any other profession might because we don't have to... Yeah, for some people that sort of, you know, here's the five steps to getting out of depression kind of thing might work. That might be their thing. And yes, like I said, it did work for me. Um, This worked better for me. Engaging in an occupation where I had those needs met... uh, as well as, you know, a lot of other needs, like we talked about earlier about it, you know, being a, a creative pursuit and that kind of stuff worked yeah. better for me. Um, it was yeah. a much simpler, I didn't have to put as much conscious thought into it. I didn't have to like, you know, use my discipline and motivation to make sure that I did all these five things because I genuinely right. wanted was to go doing, out and see yeah. what I could find. Um, and the other thing that's that, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that just you touched on before that, um, I, I really, I think the, the mindfulness part of it was exactly what you were saying about being the only person to experience that particular moment. And that's one of the reasons why originally when I first bought the drone, I'm like, I am seeing parts of the environment, whatever it is, whether it's a beach or a tree or whatever, from an angle that no one has ever looked at this from. Right. Yeah. Uh, and really then cool. that that sort of mindset, wanting to find those unique angles, those unique views of things, is I carried that over into just my general photo photography as well. In that, some of those photos that I've taken are literally beside the highway. Thousands yeah. of people would drive past, you know, that tree or that rock or that fence line or whatever the photo is every day, but no one has looked at it the way I've looked at it or the way I see it or the way I've interpreted it. And I think giving yourself 
space to look at things in your own unique, mindful way is a really powerful and important thing that everybody needs to be doing. And I feel like I'm going yeah. full circle here. I feel like social media yeah. in a lot of ways is stealing that from us because yeah. we're no longer interpreting things the way we do it. We're seeing things the way someone else wants us to see it. That's interesting. You know, actually I was just having a conversation about like, I'm almost bummed about watching or seeing f photos of there's like my Instagram feed is filled with OTs mm. and like beautiful things on the earth. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I, I don't know if you follow discover earth, but it's yep. this beautiful. Yeah. And they always have something, it's incredible views of places in the earth and, it makes me like almost sad sometimes because it's like, oh, dang, I wish I wouldn't have seen that because it would have been cool to have traveled there and seen it for myself before I saw that, you know, and um, and so many things that are captured out there. Because like you said before, like being inspired to take a picture or find something um, is like I have a whole Pinterest page that is pictures that I want to take. Mm. And, uh, and I have one that's for like weddings also, but like, you know, like this is a cool wedding picture. Like, however, this guy did this, like, yeah. I want to do that for somebody and I wanted to be able to call it my picture, you know? And so, um, but some people have like these amazing ideas that, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I do get inspired to do my own take on it or something different, but you know, I'm like, man, I wish I would have seen that from, for myself without, uh, previously like like i would love to go wondering and then find it yeah yeah you know as compared to like hey i saw this there's this amazing thing or like brock hey i'm coming to australia i want you to take me to where you took that picture yeah like you know like i think my expectation of when i i'm because i'm going to visit you at some point <laughs> good um lifelong dream australia <laughs> So at some point, and you know what? I'm probably going to say within the next three years, I'm coming out there. Deal. Um, but I'll be waiting. Pandemic, uh, hopefully, gets <laughs> under control. <laughs> but once I get out there, like let's go, let's go explore something that's we haven't explored before. Yeah, let's go get lost somewhere, you know, and have an experience that people haven't had before. And uh, you know, and and I and I think that you you and I having that, like, if I were to like, I want you to take me to tourist attractions. Um, it doesn't give you that positive. Or, I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it's a memory, but it's not a memory that nobody else gets to have. Mm. You know, like when I lived in Las Vegas, the expectation was when you came to visit Eric, he would take you down to the strip because everybody wants to go to the strip. You know, the Las Vegas strip. That's just where everybody goes when you see the casinos, you know. Um, but, hey, I've got this other place that is, you know, Red Rock Canyon or like, um, you know, did you know that the Hoover Dam is, Canyon. yeah. So, I mean, like all these things <laughs> are like, yeah. So these things like are experiences that actually we could have that you didn't expect or yeah. wouldn't expect or something different that is uh, away from the norm. And I think I find myself wanting away from the norm more than anything ever. Yeah. And I, um, actually I'll, I'll Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, I found, like, I know I mean, I've done the touristy things in Australia as well. Like, you mentioned Sydney Opera House and stuff before. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They're impressive when you see them, but I didn't get the same 
like I've seen photos of them, and when you get there, it's like it's the same as the photos. Like I don't, I know some people like, oh my god, it's amazing, and they might. When you do the tour and you listen to the history of it and how it's built, yeah, that's it's impressive, but it's not something that I was like, oh my god, I have to come back here. Like I'm like, I've done it now. Like that's it. Um, And what I was going to say before is with your when you're talking about interpretation is so I don't know if you remember I saw I took a photo a while ago of this tiny little tree. It's not tiny taller than me but it's a tree that's just right. off the coast so when the tide comes in the water actually goes under the tree and it looks like the tree's out in the ocean um now that's huh, a fairly on terms of the photographers in townsville there's a lot of people that know about that tree and it's yeah. interesting because i first saw that tree and i saw a similar shot to what i've taken but i didn't want to do that i my for me when right. i see that i'm like okay that's a cool location i want to go and see what i can see that's different that no one else has seen that's- I love that. And I've seen a few different photographers because I follow quite a few of them now that are around this this area that have all taken photos of that tree. They're all different, which I think is so cool. Like yeah. for me, a lot of people a lot of people tend to take them sort of from the beach looking out at the tree and it's probably right. know, 30 meters, what's that like 50 right. feet or something away from the from the actual sand. Um, whereas for me, I went and stood in the water and shot up the coast. So right. it was a different angle. See, I love that. And that kind I love of that. stuff. And I think that's a big difference between like taking pictures and photography, mm. you know, um, because I'm very similar. Like I remember going to see the, the arch gateway in St. Louis. If you're familiar with that, it's a big, yep. you know, silver arch. Right. And so you always see people take a picture of the arch. Yeah. And, you know, I remember going in wanting to see it differently. And I remember taking, a picture just straight up the line of it and as it kind of curves in and up and then, you know, kind of the clouds in the back, you know, and it was just it's like, you wouldn't even really probably know that it was that the arch, it was, yeah. but it was this interesting bending piece of metal going into the sky. And, you know, and I love that. I actually do really appreciate that about, um, because typically when I go to something, if you took me to Sydney Opera House, which, you know, these places are things that you want to see. Like I I wouldn't go to Paris and not go to the Eiffel Tower or Arc de Triomphe. But when I took pictures of the Arc de Triomphe, I went there at night, set my camera like on the top of a trash can, opened the aperture for like 30 seconds. And all it is is just lines all around this crisp, beautiful arch. And it's a picture that I took that's different that people haven't taken, you know? And so, you know, and so I I think that that's really beautiful um, kind of in that moment, but, you know, and so, and that just brings me back to like, I want to experience life differently because there was a point that when I was the deepest depression I've ever been. And I, I mean, and and right now, and, you know, to your listeners or whatever, like I actually see um, somebody from my depression every single week. Like I have a, a counselor that really helps me and I'm going through, um, some uh, different cognitive behavioral therapy right now just for my own like I want to be a better me and, and, and I'm trying to find who that is mm. but when I was in the very very depth I watched this movie called Her but with Joaquin Phoenix and I don't know if you've seen it but Her, it's basically a I've movie that you should definitely watch it it's a movie it's it's about depression really but the, the concept is that the, the, the program protagonist Joaquin Phoenix had fallen in love with uh, uh, an AI, you know, like Siri or Alexa, um, because they had gotten smart enough to be really uh, understand you, interact with you. 
and um and so and they learn you and then basically it becomes like his best friend yeah and um but in the movie he goes and sees a therapist and and he's he quotes this quote that at the time when i watched it i just got so emotional and broke down because it was my exact feelings but the quote is um sometimes i think i have felt everything i'm ever gonna feel and from here on out i'm not gonna feel anything new just lesser lesser versions of what I've already felt. And that was so, and it's still powerful to me. And, and I, I just remember thinking like, I don't have any desire. Like I've, I've done everything. I've traveled the world. I've succeeded. I've gotten awards. I've, you know, people like me, I have a family, I've done everything. What more is there to do? Mm. And I just can't find the joy in anything more. And I remember being like, in this very dark hole that I didn't enjoy anything. It was really hard. And, and I, and I remember thinking like even traveling, I have no desire to travel anymore. There's nowhere I want to go. I've already done Europe. And, 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 and it was very naive and stupid, but very real. And sometimes it still is real, mm. you know, and that's a hard place. Um, sometimes when I get in that dark place is like, if I die today, I'd be very satisfied. And I, and actually it's 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 actually a very positive thing for me mm. too for me as well you know and i want everybody to know right now if i were to die today what an amazing fulfilling life i i i was able to to do i i impacted lives i helped people um you know i got to see much of god's creation on this world um and and what, what a lucky person have i been you know whereas people probably within a square mile of me have never even left the state. Yeah. You know, like their, their big trip in life was going up to Dallas, which is two hours from here. Yeah. And that's, I want that life. You that's, know, that's, uh, I think what I, what you, you're tapping into there is something that I've tried to carry through my, my clinical career for so long, working with people who have had depression as well, is that it's, and this is kind of going to be a bit of a juxtaposition in that depression, my experience of depression, um, was it's very much, it, it kind of, it's like putting blinkers on where your whole world just kind of shrinks. Uh, yeah. and you can literally, it, when it's really bad, you're literally just seeing the six inches in front of your face and that's all you can see. And like you said, like that quote was perfectly my experience as well in that. Like, okay, my feelings have just stopped. Like, there's nothing new. There's no, like, I've done this, I've done that. I'm not feeling anything new. And you've got these blinkers on and this is my world and I'm in this hole and I can't get out of it, etc. And to me, the complete opposite of that, like, I, I honestly feel like sometimes, like, the opposite of depression is creativity. Because to me, it's, actually, you're yeah, seeing yeah. Uh, something that, you know, people may have seen before but you're seeing it in your unique way you're finally seeing uh different angles you're seeing different light you're seeing you know different like i I, i've listened to music and i'm like this song sounds different like and i know that sounds stupid to most people but if you listen to music and you've got something going on like depression i can guarantee you similar to so the 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 episode that i put out about my depression i took two photos and they're both of me, the same edit. I look different. Oh, yeah. And yeah. there's nothing else to change other than there was about six weeks between them and I was really depressed in one and I was feeling pretty good in the, in the second one. It was sort of after the, the episode had yeah. sort of waned. 
everything sensory wise is different like everything kind of shuts down and closes in you'll hear people with depression talk about it felt like the world was closing in and that's literally what it is like everything kind of shuts down and becomes dull becomes blunted becomes less interesting um less you know emotion evoking like everything just you feel like you're wading through honey everything gets slower and it's your world shrinks and then when you can come out of it i do feel like and this is something i used to use in my clinical career in mental health is that tapping into someone's creativity is a really really powerful way of helping them out of that hole either acutely or as well as in the long term because i honestly believe that the opposite or that the behaviors exhibited when you've tapped into someone's creativity like we've talked about today with photography and art and that kind of stuff is you know different perspectives and being able to interpret things differently and look at them in a wider way a wider range of of ways is the complete opposite of what happens when you are depressed um and i I love that i really sorry yeah i i think i think you're spot on you know and i haven't you know, because earlier on in this podcast, I had mentioned that for me, one thing that really helps me is these small tasks or, or accomplishing something. And I love working with wood and working mm. in my shop. And and even if it's as little as, you know, patching a small hole that was in a wall mm. um, or, you know, um, so, you know, something that's been lingering there for two years, it's like five minute tasks that I just never have done, you know, or, um, you know, going out and gardening. Like I love gardening. I don't do it enough. And we talked about um, actually one of the integrative projects for my, um, my, my uh, graduate students is gardening. And I'm so excited that I get to be their mentor on, on that because it's going to be cathartic for me to build something and help them with something that's going to serve the community. But, you know, in the background, it's serving me so much Mm. more. (laughs) I mean, maybe, you know, but like, that's awesome. You know, and I think, I think you're spot on creativity is like the, you know, arch enemy of depression. Um, That's, that's a pretty cool concept. I'll quote you on that. Yeah, feel free. But I mean, but there's all those, like we <laughs> talked about side benefits as well before. Um, and you mentioned earlier about, you know, having to clean your office or sometimes you just clean your office. And I've always found, and I don't know if, if, if you have as well, that in order for me to be creative, I kind of have to be organized. Like I can't, Yeah. like my camera bag, I could, I know exa- I could go through that thing with my eyes closed. I know where exactly where everything is. Uh, everything's organized, everything's in its spot, everything has a place. My desk, if I'm sitting here doing the podcast, it's set up exactly how I want it. I know where everything is, everything I need is within reach, everything else is out of reach, it's tidy, it's neat. Um, And if it's not, then I just can't like tap into that place that I need to. So I think, and these are are things that you can take if you do work in mental health. Uh, These are things that people can take and use with their clients. Like, I do think creativity is a really important occupation to tap in with people. You need to find some sort of creative outlet for a lot of people. 
it, it doesn't it's not what you might traditionally think is it's not you know painting it might not be photography creativity for them might be oh, i'm gonna try a different bus route to get to this and oh, i'm gonna right. just jump on this bus and see where it goes and see if i can make my way back i've right. had clients that did yeah. that before like creativity it's what is creative to them it's that's yeah. the important thing but also there is that sort of i don't know what you call it maybe prep work that yeah. you can also engage with them in in order to help release that creativity and it can be things like organizing it can be things like you know if they have sort of financial stresses and that sort of stuff like trying to uh help with some of that will help bring that stress level down a bit so that they're then able to tap into that creativity more um the this is like the perfect example of why ot's need to be in mental health and i know that it's a very different situation on terms of clinically working in mental health in the States as it is here in Australia. But OTs, we are literally born to do yeah. that. And born to do that. This is our, this is our bread like and butter. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, I, well, what's funny is like I'm actually wearing this shirt that says occupation is life itself. And, uh, and it's really it, you know, and this is exactly what you said. And, um, uh, you know, the other day you talk about creativity can be anything. And, and what's funny is like, actually the other day, last Friday or Friday, um, we were at, we were celebrating my daughter's birthday and a friend's birthday at the same time. And we went to, oh, Sunday. And we went to this place to eat a steak restaurant. And on a whim, I just decided I was not going to order anything. I was just going to tell the waitress, bring me something. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Just needs to be under like 30 bucks. Yep. And it was so interesting and unique and fun to see what happened. And it was, it was brilliant. I loved everything that she brought out, you know, and in it's, you know, and, and, and I think in life for me, um, new experiences is everything like mm. to be able to, um, and, and also surprise, like surprise is great for me, like unexpected something, um, hopefully unexpected good things yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but uh unexpected is typically something that i really enjoy um to be able to experience and it does keep me fresh and new and interested um yeah and I, like- um, because i think that my depression and maybe yours as well goes to a place that is there's nothing more that i need um i can't say that i've ever been suicidal but i can tell you that i've thought about am i suicidal am I done? Like, would I be okay dying right mm. now? And that's, that's an interesting place for me to be often because I don't think that I would ever kill myself, but I certainly would be willing to die. You know, like if somebody were to come into a mass shooting, I would have no problem sacrificing myself to save people. Like yeah. I could do that. I think. Um, and I, and, and it would be selfishly because I think I'd be okay with dying. Yeah. At times. I'm not saying this is all the time. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love life. I want to live. I want to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that I want to die, but I, you know, like I, um, I, I'm, you know, I get to this place where it's like, like, it's going to be hard. This next, you know, month is going to be so hard for me. I don't know how to do it. You know, finances are really hard for me right now. I don't know how to figure out my money. Mm. Um, work is really hard for me right now. I don't know how to do it. I don't think that I'm doing a good job. 
you know, and, uh, you know, so all those things like really weigh on, weigh in on me and, and my depression, you know, it comes from a lot of different places. And a lot of times it goes back to my military roots and seeing some stuff. Um, you know, sometimes I'll see, you know, blood and it, get, it takes me right back to like, you know, we saw people coming in our, our Charlie med every, every day that were dismembered or, or blood everywhere and to, to process that and mm. try to normalize that it is not normal mm. it's, it's very hard um and seeing you know one of the hardest things was seeing my buddy killed there that was a very tough place for me to be and and, and i go back there often and sometimes i see him in dreams and it just makes me in this place where he hasn't got to experience life like i have he didn't get to see you know, new Star Wars movies or stories. He didn't get to see that Baby Yoda was a thing. We talked about going to like Vegas together and, you know, living it up once we got back and, you know, going to visit his mother. And anyway, so just like things that are really hard for me is when like I realize that I'm experiencing things that people never got to or whatever, um, you know. And so sometimes it's like survivor's guilt. But yeah, also just, so, yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah, it's, I, I think anyway. I, I never I never got to a point where I was suicidal, but I do the very first time, probably not the first time I was depressed, the first time I realized I was depressed, I got to a point where I understood it. I'm like, I'm not, yeah. I don't want to kill myself, but I understand why people do. Uh, and yeah. that, that to yeah. me was yeah, a like- really, especially because at the time I was still working uh, clinically, that was a really powerful realization because I don't think it's one of those things where I don't think anyone can actually get their head around it unless they've been there. Um, unless they've been that low that you can go, ah, oh, like I can understand why people think this is the only way out. Like I can understand why people think that it's never going to get better. Or, you know, this is my life now and I just don't want that. Uh, like, I could understand why people would even think that, let alone do it. Uh, I never got to that stage myself of actually thinking that, you know, I needed to to end it or, or wanting to or thinking about a plan or anything like that. I just got to a point where I was like, I, I get it. Like, I, I can I can empathize uh with people who yeah. have those thoughts yeah you know and I, I think empathy is a big part and you know and actually like what a better therapist doesn't make it makes us right mm. um understanding the those depths um and that's and it is hard for me because i don't want to feel that i mean oh yeah you, you wouldn't choose afghanistan it. <laughs> No, you you won't. You would never choose it. But part yeah. of Afghanistan, I remember thinking like I'm the internal optimist. Like people come back from war and they're all like quote unquote messed up. But I think it's a crock. I think they're just using it as a crutch yeah, or something. Yeah. I was wrong, and I was so wrong. And actually, I was pleasantly wrong because it made me. It gave me different perspective on how to understand the subtle things that will change somebody's outlook, you yeah. know, and, and, and how I, it's not in me to understand why they feel that way, just that they can, and it's okay, you know, um, because it affected me very differently. And actually, you know, I posted at one point in time, like, I, cause at, at some point in time, like 
I posted, I really struggled with fireworks going off. Not, and actually, I still do. But when fireworks go off, if it's on like an anticipated date, like the like New Year's Eve, yeah. I know they're going to go off. I can anticipate them, and I know that it's not a bomb. You know that it's fireworks. Know that it's fireworks. Yeah. But two days before New Year's Eve or Fourth of July in America, when people typically do, when you know you can go out, you can buy fireworks, you know, a month ahead of time, <clears throat> and you can set them off whenever you want. That's when I have issues. Yeah. Because <clears throat> it's an un- it's unanticipated. And I like have this anxiety that's insane, but like if a, if a bomb goes off or like fireworks go off, like I, it's the immediate split second reaction. Mm-hmm. And I know maybe it's not significant and I know quickly that, Oh, that's not a bomb. It's 4th of July is coming up, you know, but it's like not anticipated and that's a problem. And so kind of what it goes back to is, um, uh, what was I, where, where was I going with this? Um, uh, oh, somebody post like I posted just on a whim, like, you know, thanks Afghanistan for, you know, giving me issues for the rest of my life or whatever, you know, fireworks or whatever, like, and somebody, well, actually one of my senior leaders posted, Oh, please stop being such a sissy or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember feeling that like, what an insensitive thing to say. And then I also remember thinking, have I done similar things to people where maybe I've discounted something that might be significant? Like what's the matter with you? Like mm. that, 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 that sh- you shouldn't react like that. That's super insignificant. You know, and and then I, you know, I think, but, you know, people take things different ways, you know, and people react in different ways. And it's not for me to judge why that reaction happens. And, you know, so actually I turned a page in OT where I said that no longer would I anticipate what I thought was happening to somebody, but instead work very much off of their objective words to me. I don't want to assume something. I don't want to assume anything. But if you tell me that you have this stuff, I'm going to treat you like that. Mm. If you tell me that this is the experience you've had, you've had it. Uh, so I don't care mm. whether or not you're lying to me. I'm just going to treat you like that. So um, I think more you know, ATs need to do that. But I think it's interesting <laughs> because that's a, a tough one. Yeah. And was, I remember So my, my sister's in the army as well. And um, I remember when she came back from Afghan. Um, her boyfriend at the time was also in the army and he'd been over, I think they overlapped by about three months. But so I remember driving down the road with him in the car and I'm just sort of out of the corner of my eye watching him and he was scanning the sides of the road for IEDs. Um, and I was like, I asked him, I'm like, are you all right, man? He's like, oh yeah. And he just, it was like one of those things that was almost instinctual. It was just habit. He'd just been doing it for, I think he was over there for nine months or something. Yeah. It was one of those things where over there, that was normalized and it takes yeah. some time to try and adjust. And that wasn't even like the sort of traumatic things that he, he saw. Um, right. But my, my right. sister went through same sort of thing, um, you know, seeing things that most people would never see or wish to see in their life. And, 
you know, it took some time and, and some professional help to yeah. to make sense and process it so that it, it wasn't going to affect her as much. I'm sure it still does um, at times, similar to you. Like, I'm sure there are still triggers that will affect her as well. I'm not sure what they are. She doesn't like to talk about that too much, but that's okay. Um, but it, it, it's... It's interesting. I find that sort of stuff really interesting in that what you what you were saying about like, you know, have I maybe done this to other people is is that's something I think of not necessarily in a super traumatic way, but even in a clinical way. Early in my career, I, I feel like my perspective on mental health was uh, if I can help the person become aware of the what's actually going on for them, then they'll be able to fix it. And so it was like, you know, someone with depression, I'm, I'm, I can't remember any specific instances, but I can almost guarantee I would have said something at some point in time like, you know, you just need to get up, you need to build a routine, you need to do right. this, you need to do that, and that's how you get better. Um, and that's that's not... One, that's not helpful. I know that now. That's probably going to have the opposite effect. But also it's me trying to, uh, I guess, use the social norms that I'm accustomed to to tell them what they need to do to fit into that social norm. Like it's normal. Like you have to get up at, you know, in the morning and you have to, eat three meals a day and you have to exercise 30 minutes for however many days a week yeah. that they recommend now, blah, blah, blah. Like yeah. these are the social norms that right. we're sort of ingrained in. And to me, early in my career, before I knew anything better, uh, getting people to function in society as you know, I believed OT's mission was back then was a matter of getting them to conform to social norms. So that was like my mission. That's what I was there to do. So later on, very similar, not similar reasons, but similar realization to you uh, and coming to the to the realization that like this, I'm pushing shit uphill for one. I'm probably doing the complete opposite of what this person actually needs. Yeah. And I'm not helping them reach anything that they actually value. Why? Because I haven't asked them. I don't even know what they value yet. Right. So, right. That's like, that's one of those things that, and that's one of the things I advocate for really strongly through this podcast and through my teaching at work and that kind of stuff is OTs need to ask. Like, we yeah. don't know what to do. We you don't. can't go into a room and go, oh, this person's got such and such. They need to be doing this. Like, right. we need to know what they want to do. Uh, and that's one of my uh, completely slightly, probably a whole nother podcast, but one of my big gripes with the whole OT's obsession with independence. Um, yeah. Cause that fits very well into that. Cause not everyone wants to be independent or it's not culturally the norm for some, for some cultures to be fully independent. Um, and I, yeah, I just feel like actually asking, it seems so simple when you say it out loud, but I just a lot of OTs don't do it. Yeah. I mean, you know how, like, there's the, a lot of buzz buzzwords around, you know, OTs use occupation quite a bit um, and they're speaking or whatever. And, you know, there's, like, you know, your um, OT practice framework and then you have your, like, occupational justice. And I actually was thinking yesterday, like, 
you know, coming up with something new because we've been pushing occupation so hard and like, it's gotta be the center of your approach, you know? Mm. And so just thinking like um, occupational revival or like a occupational rising, you know, um, or something like having this like new hashtag where we talk, you know, like show occupation and just like uh, the occupational resistance or something, you know, where, you know, because the one hard thing about our profession and, and I understand why um, is that we're trying to push into, you know, we do need to be evidence-based and science-driven and we do need to have um, our foot around the world. Um, but to what, to what ends. And a lot of times I feel that occupation is the ends that gets erased mm. Um, mm. Be- because, because it's um, easier for reimbursement to look at objective, you know, clinical results um, as compared to what our foundation is, which is occupation, (laughs) you know? And so like, I can't like, for me, I'm an occupational warrior, you know, an an occupational resistance. Like I'm just going to start using that and and, uh, pushing back on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There you go. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, Join the resistance. Yeah. Um, But you know, but even like, you know, in the U S we had this, um, doctorate mandate, the OTD mandate for, you know, that was this big uprising from the profession saying, no, like it was the resistance. Like, no, this is not going to do us. This is not good for the profession. Um, it doesn't represent the body of people. Um, and I think that with reimbursement, with, um, ways to get paid so much goes back into those, objective things that um, reimbursement companies want to see. And that is these objective measures that are not occupation, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Um, and you, you go into clinics and you just see very rote exercise. And, you know, of course people think we're PT because that's how so many people are acting, you know, and, uh, and that's where the money is. I mean, I, I worked in a rehab that I literally had a conversation with the, the, the director saying, I need you to tell me that you want to compromise who I am Hmm. as an occupational therapist so that I can meet your financial goals for the hospital, because that's what you're asking me to do, Hmm. you know, and, and I just won't do that, you know? And so occupational resistance, (laughs) you know, but, um, but, but it is interesting. And I think we do have to have that foundation. And I think that, you know, some of the big things that, you know, big takeaways that I have from this is one, creativity is you know the 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 arch enemy to depression um and that occupation drives our uh our, our unique ability to treat clients both in uh, mental health capacity but anywhere you know so i think um, i think these kinds of conversations are, are things that a lot of ot's and i'm not saying like ot's need to have depression or have anything going on to be able to have these conversations but just actually talking with each other to be able to f- look at instances when engagement in occupation has had an impact on themselves because like similar to like we were talking about before where like say clinically my experience of having depression made me a better therapist when I was working with other people who had depression. Similar, if you're an OT and you are able to identify times when engagement in occupation helped you in whatever way, then you're going to be a better therapist working with people 
who need to be engaged in occupation to help themselves because you understand it better. You get, you've got something to anchor that knowledge on your own experience and you're just going to have a, a deeper, better understanding of what it feels like to engage and make that improvement as opposed to, you know, what we were saying earlier that you just don't want to do is just throwing ideas at people and this is what you got to do. Very prescriptive kind of way of working. It just, that, doesn't fit what our profession is meant to do and it if you're doing that you're missing some of the like most valuable aspects of what we have to offer and the beauty of our profession why why did you do this if it weren't for this creative outlet that you Mm. could really empower humans yeah i did i didn't get in here to you know prescribe walking aids or whatever like that's not why I got into the profession. I got into the profession because I wanted to help people. And I think a lot of people, I think getting back to that sort of just even that really simple core why, why are you here is something that I feel like OTs need to do kind of almost regularly uh, as a bit of a reminder. Like, why are you an OT? Yeah. I love that. And you know, Even like how cool, like actually might even use that. Even with my clients that I see, I'm just saying, I'm going to look at them straight in the eye. Very first thing I say is like, why are you here? Hmm. And then expand on like, let me explain to you where we're going with this therapy and why it's important to you. And, and, And I want you to understand what success will be by graduating from OT or from, you know, leaving OT. And that success is a you know, identification of success that says I can now do and I can now engage, you know, and I think that, you know, people miss that, you know, like, okay, well, we're done with our treatment sessions. This is what people are done with our treatment sessions. You know, you did this many reps of that, you know, you're stronger than you were then. Okay, good job. But that says nothing about their engagement in life, you know, like if I can say you can now hold your child and you can now go bowling again and you can now, um, you know, go back to your job and enjoy and provide for your family, what a much more powerful statement than, well, you're stronger or you're, you know, and that's, I, I think the real, mobile. I think pretty much exactly what you just highlighted. I think the real power is when they can say that because they're the ones that are going to say like, I can do these things now. Not yeah, like, oh, I've got yeah. five degrees more range of motion in my wrist. Like, they're not going to say that. Yeah. And, you know, this young, this young, this, we're, we, we run a, a really cool um, free clinic out of our university for people that are uninsured or underinsured. And I've been working with this young lady um, who's, um, she's 25, developmental disability. And, you know, so she's kind of working in a teenager's body and, um, and the family, you know, just really wanted her to be more independent and everything. And, and I started, I, you know, I, I, my very first thing I ever do with a client is just sit down and just tell me about you. Who are you, hmm. you know, and, and what do you, what do you like in life? Tell yeah. me what, what brings you joy, what brings you happiness. And, and we got to, um, you know, and then, and then what would you like? Where, where do you want to be? Like, what do you, what's your goals? You know, where do you want to go? And, and this young lady and her family sitting there and they talked about her wanting to, she loves cooking. She loves cooking shows, but um, they're very concerned about her safety. And so for the next like four or five weeks, we worked on safety and cooking and the 
like at the end of the semester, our very last treatment session together, we made this, um, and she, she planned and organized this whole thing, but you know, she got recipes off of Pinterest and she did what's that? She faxed away for the recipes. I'm sure. Yes, of yeah, course we yeah, did. We yeah. sent a fax and got it the next day. Um, but we got, uh, you know, French toast. Um, she wanted to do French toast and she wanted to, you know, so we, we, we planned a shopping trip together. So we went to the store um, and she had to navigate, you know, the, the store without us. I said, here's your, you know, she made the shopping list, went to the store got the ingredients, um, you know, and we checked out and then the next treatment session was, you know, coming in, we practiced it. And then the next treatment was like, okay, now you're in charge. You have to like negotiate the oven, the burners, hot stoves, hot pads, like the timing and everything. And it was like such a neat place. Like for me, because it's a free clinic, we're not charging. Mm. Like I could do anything I want with her, you know? And she, was so excited her family was so excited and to know that that skill right there can potentially translate to her doing that and actually telling her family that she can do this you can do this with her and you can empower her Mm. to be more independent was really neat you know and uh and that's life you know that's what we do that like if we're not empowering life then what are we doing you know that's that's as good a message as i can think of to to wrap that up yeah because yeah if we are if we're not empowering life couldn't have said it better myself that's awesome well brock i love you brother but i've got things to do (laughs) you do and i do too and they're called sleep yeah yeah, that's right it's uh like quarter to one yeah oh well brilliant (laughs) So yeah, well, thanks for for the chat, man. It's uh, yeah. it's good to catch up again, if if nothing else. It's been yeah, too long, man. It's perfect, and and I appreciate it. Actually, you know, even just these conversations, it does build me. You know, like amazing how we're sitting here talking about depression, and you're we're really treating each other. Yeah. It's kind of neat. Yeah, and that's uh, it's that that like like we talked about in the episode, like that that connection. It it helps. And that, that normalization, that's one of the things I tried. That was the whole purpose of me writing that post and even doing that episode was I I want to normalize it because it's it happens. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the time people don't feel like they can connect or don't feel connected to people because I've got depression. I'm like, no, you do feel connected because you've got depression. Like it's the opposite. Yeah. It's almost like you're part of this exclusive club now. It sucks, right. but welcome. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but welcome, and you know what? We can probably help you along the way. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied.